Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Well, you're looking victorious in the Michigan hoodie on the Zoom, and yes, you are also sounding victorious with the raspy-ass voice here, podcasting with Tom Thibodeau today on The Goat. Um, Doc Rivers. (laughs) That's that's who I remind myself of is Doc Rivers. I love to see it and hear it, and also... If Michigan had blown that game, your voice would have been just as blown out and talking about the loss would have been unbelievably depressing for everyone involved because we would have had to go through it blow by blow. We're obligated after having chronicled this Michigan journey for the last two months. So thank God they got the win at the end (laughs) and we'll circle back at the end of the podcast. I will note, however... I remembered as you were talking there that you got the like on Instagram from Charles Woodson, which, I mean, this is unquestionably the peak of your sports fandom life here. You took the Rose photo that we discussed at the end of the last show we recorded, and then you got the like from Charles Woodson himself. Holy shit. What a night from start to finish. It's just incredible. I'm so happy for you as a friend. And I think a lot of the goats were rooting for Michigan as well on the bandwagon with the maize and blue. And now we have Charles Woodson on the Team Golliver bandwagon as well. So um, all part of the storybook ending in Pasadena last night. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that aspect specifically. Oh, do I have but... <laughs> any thoughts? I mean, give me a break. Andrew, we could do a 12-hour podcast about yesterday. I could walk you through every single step. It did, it did feel like a big-time brand celebrity marriage, me and Charles Woodson, sort of like a Kelsey-Taylor Swift scenario, mm. you know, where it's like, oh, boy, these two just monumental pillars. Here they are coming together to form an even bigger, uh, incredible castle. no. Wearing the Woodson jersey and then just the sheer panic after they won and after I was screaming, we won, we're going to Houston, I'm just absolutely losing my mind. And then I'm looking around anywhere I can to try to find a rose. And it was wild because they did the 2013 finals thing, Andrew. You remember the yellow tape they brought out before Ray Allen shot? So before the final play of overtime, before Milrow ran into that big defensive line and had no chance of busting through, they had huge buckets of roses brought out by a number of women from the tunnel. And I was panicked. I was like, this is perfect. We're one play away from victory. Why are you bringing the roses out now? Just wait 30 <laughs> seconds. Do not screw this up like the 2013 finals. Uh, you know, like the San Antonio Spurs kind of got jobbed by the karma, right? But thankfully, the defensive line held, much like the union lines at Gettysburg, mm. and they win. But they're not handing out any of the roses to the fans. The confetti is going crazy all over me. I'm right there by the field. I'm looking around. The the nearest person I can see with the rose is like 10 rows behind me. I'm not going to go ask a stranger, can I borrow your rose so I can put it in (laughs) my mouth? mouth. (laughs) But thankfully, uh, the day before the game, and I didn't really realize this, I had purchased this rose crown. uh, And the crown was made of fake roses and it was like wire, fake mm. branches. So the only thing that I had replicating a rose, and I was feeling the pressure because you said you have to take the rose picture. You know, I'm yeah, thinking I got to get this up demand. as soon as possible uh, after the the final buzzer, right? 
So I took a rose crown, shoved it up like a full bouquet and just stuffed it in my mouth. And if you look at my picture, (laughs) you'll notice it's so much different from everybody else's rose pictures because there's always about like that dog bite on the um, the stem, right? Like you can kind of see the teeth so you can see the smile. There's so much garbage in my mouth (laughs) from the crown (laughs) that you can't even see any of my teeth. It's hilarious. I'm sure everyone's like, what's this guy doing? But I think it makes that moment all the better. Um, And so thank you for that inspiration on the crown. Thanks to Charles Woodson for understanding, you know, this was my own goofy tribute to what he had done um, in 1997. And what a way for it to come full circle. Man alive. Just a wild day. That's like me getting a cosign from Jerry Stackhouse or Antoine Jameson or something like that. I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I hope you enjoyed the mountaintop and we'll see. We'll circle back on Monday uh, to see what happens against Washington. But man, oh man, what a night. For now, we'll dive into hoops. Uh, Benjamin says, as you mentioned, we had the first trade of the season last week and Benjamin says, Last week's OG Ananobi deal marks the first time I've felt truly excited about the potential of my New York Knicks without some major asterisks. OG isn't a world beater, but he's something we haven't had in our history. A big, versatile wing who can consistently hit shots. It's sad to see quickly go, but this move makes our team so much more well-rounded and OG's defense raises our ceiling tremendously going forward. I have one nagging question, though. Who is the final superstar who makes us a true contender? The obvious answer seems to be Donovan Mitchell, and to me, that's just such an unsatisfying answer. It feels like a lot of people have wanted to come to New York, but it's been our limited personnel and horrendous front office that's that's deterred a lot of marquee stars. Today, we have a versatile roster, lots of pretty solid defensive talent, and a number of players who could be reasonably expected to handle minutes in the playoffs. Genuinely, for the first time in my life, we're building on season-over-season positive momentum, and that's why it'd be so upsetting for me if we traded for Donovan Mitchell. I know he's great, and I shouldn't be picky with star-level talent, given how we've been the second choice for so many free agents over the past 20 years, but it would just be so deflating to see us settle for a 6'2 Julius Randle, who would be doubling down on our shot-chucking tendencies and our lack of size in the backcourt. So what do you guys think? Is Mitchell seriously the best that we could do? If not, who and when and what should the Knicks do going forward? Um, So, Ben, I have a bunch of different thoughts on what the Knicks did here, but I'll let you start. What's your response to a fellow Benjamin, uh, Knicks fan Benjamin there? Well, the only thing I would add, you know, to Benjamin directly, is second choice is a little generous. I mean, I, sometimes <laughs> I don't know if these guys fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth choices when it comes to free agency destinations. I mentioned on the podcast with Mike Trudell, um, you know, last week, Lakers sideline reporter, and, and big shout out to him for for filling in. Um, the Knicks right now are operating with a small market mentality. It's almost like they're the Indiana Knicks or the Salt Lake City Knicks or the Portland Knicks in terms of let's just try to go find these players that are really good fits. Let's try to keep some continuity. Let's try to be as respectable and stable as possible and not necessarily swing for that gigantic home run that's going to be a championship-level trade. I'm sure it's going to drive some people crazy because when you're in a big city, you're always going to have those huge expectations. But I think Benjamin's optimism is coming from the idea that 
they have made a series of pretty nice moves here, right? Like to yeah. get Brunson is an absolute home run. OG Ananobi fits. You know, you look at um, the other teams that were going after him. It was a lot of small market teams, right? It's the Pacers, it's the Blazers, it's uh, guys who are trying to fill out and just get themselves some targeted improvement in, in specific areas. And for New York, you know, they've had so much success this year because of Brunson offensively. It's overshadowed a little bit the slippage on defense, right? They haven't been as good defensively. Now, Mitchell Robinson's been injured out for the year. They've had a very thin front line. And so they've gotten into some of these games like we've talked about against Milwaukee. They're giving up 130, 140 points, right? Well, you got to have somebody, if you're going to go into the playoffs, who's going to be able to be a lockdown perimeter guy to help staunch some of that bleeding. And I think OG Ananobi is that player. When I look at this trade, I guess I was in the camp that was like, this is almost the quickly trade, right? I mean, I think long term of these three guys, who would you really want to bet on? Definitely not RJ. I'll I'll Mm -hmm. say that up front. But to me, it comes down to like quickly versus OG and Anobi. And in terms of what his role was in New York, and we've been over this previously, there just wasn't enough minutes, not enough opportunity for him. He needed to go somewhere else to flourish and to get back a player who does fit a clear need, who's going to be able to help you here in the short term, not only this year, but the next couple of years in terms of building on your postseason success, while also not giving up any first round pick or other like premium assets. So you can still be in the mix for another, you know, bigger home run trade if you decide to pull that trigger. If you're the Knicks, like, I think it made a lot of sense for New York. You know, I, I've been down on those guys for the last decade. I always make fun of the bing, bang, boom, bong guys. But to me, like it was a smart move. I would have had a really hard time parting with quickly. I'm surprised they weren't able to get more for quickly given his uh, promise and potential. But, um, you know, there's just not a, a room to operate. And so from that standpoint, I, I think it was a smart move by New York. It, I think it doesn't necessarily raise their championship ceiling this year, but it could be a precursor move to the type of trade that really does raise their ceiling in a big right. time way. And hopefully it doesn't get too expensive this summer. You know, the, the, the only downside I could see is when you start making these CAA mafia trades, just like the clutch mafia trades for Los Angeles, those don't always work for the team. Sometimes those work for the agency, right? Like we've seen uh, the Lakers sign these clutch guys who are just injured all season long. You get nothing out of them. I'm so glad we paid this guy five to $8 million. He played 10 games, right? Well, it's not like they're surprised that he's injured, right? So sometimes those kinds of moves can backfire. If OG's coming out of this with like 38, $40 million a year, whatever crazy number he's trying to get, mm-hmm. that is going to look a lot different. But I think in terms of a pure basketball fit, it makes a lot of sense. And I liked it for New York. Remember the Montrez Harrell gamble in LA, the the clutch <laughs> power play to steal him from the Clippers. Um, yeah, it, the the results are mixed on some of the agency power plays. I do think if you look at this move in isolation, it makes a ton of sense for the Knicks. And I say that as somebody who's not the biggest OG Ananobi fan in the world. Like I feel like he's gotten pretty overrated over the last few years. But basically. Well, doesn't quickly, he fit so much better if you've got two or three high usage guys like Brunson and Randall and, and, and versus Schroeder? He's going to hit restricted free agency also, and he's going to want like twenty and twenty five million dollars a year. And I saw the reports um, going back to this offseason about what he expects in restricted free agency, and I found myself doing a double take. And so, with the Knicks, he should get it. He's good. I mean, we can get to quickly in a second. I, I, to me, to me, if you're New York, it makes sense to say, all right, we're deciding between paying OG Ananobi and like 
Quentin Grimes around $45 million a year or paying $45 million a year to Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, it makes sense yep. to choose OG and Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride or whoever else they're going to piece together the supporting cast with just from a roster construction standpoint and the way you allocate your spending. Um, like That's a smarter way to approach it. I also think that removing R.J. Barrett from the starting lineup and putting OG out there to space the floor with corner threes, like I, I feel like we're underestimating what a huge win that could be for the Knicks. Just because RJ, like he he commands the ball a lot, and he's not bad. And like there have been some people saying, like RJ, the difference between OG and RJ really isn't that big at the end of the day. Basically, to take OG and Anobi's value down a few pegs, which. I understand the impulse, but I just feel like RJ makes it so much harder for the rest of an offense to breathe because he's such a clunky jump shooter. And um, I feel like it's just going to be much easier to operate with OG out there. Uh, So I kind of wanted to zag and say, oh my God, nobody in the league has been more overrated than OG Ananobi the past couple (laughs) of years. This four first round pick type thing. And it's possible that that's true, but the Knicks didn't pay some crazy price Correct. here. And structurally, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, that's a, a key point because, you know, RJ Barrett with his contract is at best neutral value. You know, like that's not an asset. I think the advanced stats, and, you know, I know you don't love the, the dorks, but the dorks would say OG Ananobi is clearly a better player than RJ Barrett because of the defensive impact. Now, they're both somewhat flawed offensive players. We don't ever want OG Ananobi to dribble or put right. the ball on the deck or try to make a pass or any of that kind of stuff. We were asking for that for the last three or four years. We got it. We didn't like it. And we said, you're cut off. We don't want any more, buddy. Like, it's <laughs> just too set. much. We can't handle it. And with RJ, offensively, there's a little bit more pop to his game, but he's not an amazing athlete. And he's not a very good defensive player. I credit RJ in terms of his motor. Good motor. He plays hard. He tries to be out there as mm-hmm. much as possible, but there's just not a lot of ceiling uh, to his game. And so I would absolutely much prefer OG Ananobi to RJ Barrett, not even close, especially if I was trying to win a team, uh, you know, build a team to win in the playoffs and eventually try to make a, a deeper playoff run. And so that to me is, is why the quickly piece of it was the headliner for Toronto and kind of the biggest thing that New York was giving up. And your point on the, the, the mechanics of who you're going to pay and why makes total sense in the world because it's not just a matter of, oh, we're going to be paying RJ and quickly. It's also that you're p- paying Brunson in quickly, right. right? And now you're giving a huge percentage of your salary cap to the point guard position where you already have an all-star level point guard. You don't need to have an all-star level point guard and one of the highest paid six men in the league. It just doesn't really make sense if they play the same position, they're not playing a ton together. And if the coach doesn't really trust him, it never seems like Tibbs really loved quickly, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. like carving out opportunities for him. It was more like, how can we squeeze this guy in? And I think that the fit in Toronto is excellent. They got totally screwed last summer by Fred Van Vliet leaving. They did not have a backup plan. They bring in Dennis Schroeder, who 
God bless his soul. After they lose to the Detroit Pistons and snap the Detroit Pistons losing streak, Schroeder goes on like a two-minute explanation about basically selfishness and why they have to start playing together (laughs) and how the NBA is this like individual league and how it's like nothing compared to the German national team. They built this great bond together over the summer and Toronto's got to figure that out. (laughs) I I was just dying laughing that this is the messenger for like unselfish basketball. Dennis Schroeder, you're kidding me. Dennis Schroeder is lecturing people about this. So... Obviously, he's not the long-term solution at point guard for Toronto. And I thought it was a really smart way for Masai and Bobby to get a Fred Van Vliet replacement. I believe in quickly. I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, but I think he can be a really good starting point guard. And I think he's definitely a much better long-term option for them than Shooter. And trying to find a plug-and-play guy where who else is available? You really want to go the D'Angelo Russell route? Like I would way rather roll the dice with quickly and Scotty Barnes and see where that takes you than you know trying to just keep spinning your wheels. So I like the, the trade actually from Toronto's perspective as well. The only tricky part was you're taking back RJ's money, but you're avoiding paying OG and they could not afford to pay OG and Scotty and Pascal in very much the same way that New York couldn't afford to pay quickly and Brunson mm-hmm. and so forth. So I thought it actually made sense from a financial standpoint from both sides. What did you think for Toronto? Did you like this from Toronto's standpoint or no? Because they didn't get the, fir- the four first round picks. They went for plug and play guys. Now they went for let's retool rather than rebuild. That's a choice. Did you like the choice? Well, so I have thoughts on Toronto. I also have two wonderfully bitter emails on the Raptors that I want to get to. But just to answer the second half of Benjamin's question in terms of what's next for the Knicks, it's weird because it's not entirely fair because as you mentioned, like they're the Knicks front office has made a number of solid moves over the past year and a half. Like a lot of what they've done has been pretty sensible. But I still don't fully trust them, and I can't shake the memory of them trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell like a year and a half ago, and I think they thought they were going to get Donovan Mitchell and were just sort of playing hardball with the Jazz, but like their full intention was to bring in Donovan Mitchell alongside Jalen Brunson. They wound up getting bailed out by the Cavs, and so... Can I ask you, though, do we give them any credit for not coming back over the top with like three more first round picks to do whatever it takes to get them? I I do give them credit for that because I feel like the old Knicks, the Knicks that got Carmelo would have said, "Okay, you can have Madison (laughs) Square Garden. You can have floor seats. Take it all. You can have our celebrity seats. Take the Rangers. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I just look at this. And as I think through the logic on New York side. All the reasons it made sense for them not to spend big on quickly alongside Jalen Brunson or as a really expensive premium backup to Jalen Brunson are the same reasons it would be stupid for them to spend a ton of money and assets on Donovan Mitchell. But I can't be 100% sure they won't do that sometime in the next 12 months. And so my answer to Benjamin would be to just like, Keep your guard up for whatever's next. Like Paul George is a CAA client. Cat is a CAA client. Donovan Mitchell famously is a CAA client. I don't know what the hell they're going to do from here, but I like the current Knicks team. And I would just let this nucleus germinate and see if they can figure out a way to flip Randall for something in the next 12 months. But like beyond that, um, I, I'm well, a little wary you. of what the next move is. 
Totally. And we don't want to overhype the Knicks ceiling. I get that. It, I think, again, Benjamin's optimism, it's about theoretical, right? It's like, hey, we're, we're not shooting ourselves in the foot actively here. We're being respectable. We're taking this step by step. But I think he realized it's not step by step. You're going to walk into a championship. I mean, they're so far back from the Bostons and the Milwaukee's of the world currently. Right. But on this idea of Mitchell, I would rather trade for Mitchell with OG and Anobi in place than yeah. trade for Mitchell without any sort of stopper in that 3-4 role, right? Because that's sort of what Cleveland did, right? They had this weird mishmash roster, small point guard, no real wing uh, players. We're trying to force Mobley into being a little bit of a wing, and we've got a traditional center. For New York, they typically have a traditional center. They've got Randall, who's not the world's greatest floor spacer. He's definitely not a defensive piece. They have a small point guard. Had they traded for Mitchell in that scenario and not had an OG and an OB player, they're the Cavs, but mm-hmm. without Mobley. And so they have even less ceiling, right? So I think that would have been the disaster if they go forward and trade for Mitchell. Obviously, I want to see what they would give up to get him. But I think that the fit there now is better for Mitchell than it was prior to this trade. Not that I love the fit and not that I love Mitchell because I do share some of your concerns. I still feel like his best fit of any of them is Brooklyn. um, And we'll see. And if it turns into a bidding war between the two New York teams, for some, I can't believe I'm saying this, for some reason, I trust the Knicks not to shoot themselves in the foot and, you know, quote unquote, win the bidding war, but actually lose the bigger <laughs> war because you gave up too much for Donovan Mitchell. Like, I've, I kind of feel like Brooklyn will be the ones who get Mitchell because they are now a little bit more desperate and, you know, a little bit uh, more aimless than the Knicks are. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And, and it's a silver lining for Benjamin the Nets have more assets and they have more pieces that would help the Cavs if it does become a bidding war. Like a lot of the first round picks the Knicks have aren't all that valuable. I think that was another thing. And uh, looking at what's actually on their books right now, they've got like a bunch of protected firsts that may or may not convey in the le- next couple of years. So, um, and it's stuff from like playoff teams that are going to be in like the middle of the first round. Uh, so all of that is to say it is a good glass half full outlook to say even if they do stupidly trade for Mitchell and overpay him because his next deal is going to be absurd, it will look better <laughs> next to OG Ananobi than it would have if they didn't have OG Ananobi and it was Emmanuel Quickly, Jalen Brunson, and Donovan Mitchell, which I wouldn't put past uh, Team CAA up there in New York City. Um, well, let me ask you, though, because if it's not Mitchell, do you see another name? Because I'll be honest, I'm not sure I do. That really makes a lot of a sense. I mean, I really thought it was going to be the Embiid summer coming up. Mm-hmm. I thought this season was going to break him, and it hasn't broken him. In fact, they've looked great. I can't see Philly, even if they you know, completely crash and burn in the playoffs again, I can't see him leaving. I think he's just going to be happy there. Like they, They've shown enough. They have enough assets to try to go grab somebody. You better not be somebody like Zach Levine. I've already said yeah. any team that trades for Zach Levine is going to have a scarlet letter in my books. We don't have a ton of other obviously disgruntled superstars lining up to make trade requests in advance of this trade deadline. So um, it could be a situation where this is their move and they're just trying to be respectable. They want to win a first round series again or at least give themselves a chance to win it. And um, they just kind of go forward, you know, kind of step by step. In that scenario, maybe they got people's hopes up and you know it winds up just being like, oh, cool, first round and out team, great, so glad we're these guys. That's a potential downside for New York, but there are worse scenarios to be in, sort of like the Nets, where 
You know, they can't even you keep their head the above water guys. because yeah. you bet on the wrong guys and you have, you know, you're out draft picks for the next six years and like you're trying to figure out, you know, where do you go and you're in this kind of a big crisis moment. So if it's not Mitchell, I also don't think that's the end of the world, but to really maximize and extract total value from the Ananobi trade, you have to go out there and get somebody else. I just don't know who that person is. If you have any nominations or if the listeners do, I would love to hear them. Greatest of all talk at gmail.com. Yeah, I don't have any nominations. I would just say more will be revealed and don't bet on guys who almost definitely aren't the guy. And Donovan Mitchell, I put him in the almost definitely not the guy category. Like I was watching Raptors Cavs Monday night after I finished watching the Rose Bowl and down the stretch in that game. I'm just not a Mitchell guy. (laughs) He just takes so many shots in a close game. And I'm like, God, and he, he did set some teammates up for some bricked jumpers. So it's not like total chucker nonsense, uh, but just as a really frustrating watch and uh, would not be the guy I'd look to to like complete the puzzle in New York. Uh, so if I were them, I would just wait and see if there is actually like a top tier guy who becomes available in the next two to three years. Um, and shout out to Becky yeah. Hammond, who got roasted for her Jalen Brunson comments. The oh, most man. ridiculous controversy of the, the holiday break was her having to like issue an apology over saying Jalen Brunson's not a 1A guy or whatever, even though he's clearly not. Um, she was right, speaking honestly, saying it with her chest. So I'm team Becky Hammond in that one. And, and I think the Knicks should just be clear right about that. And like, let's wait and go get someone who's actually a 1A guy or a 1B guy and not settle for Cat or Donovan Mitchell. That's like, that would be my operating philosophy if I'm New York right now. Yeah. And look, in fairness to Donovan Mitchell, um, he's kept Cleveland afloat after those two major injuries. Like I thought there was a chance that they splinter like immediately after yeah. those two guys both go out for months in the same day. And they basically played 500 since then. By and large, those wins are being driven by Mitchell and a lot of random guys in their supporting cast who are playing hard and kind of keeping things together. So um, they have already weathered things a little bit better than I expected But there's a difference between I'm the guy who can keep us at 500 when there's injuries Mm -hmm. around us and we can stay in this play and mix and the season isn't over versus the guy you're talking about, which is essentially, are you going head to head against Tatum in a playoff series? Are you going head to head against Giannis in a playoff series? If you're in a first round or the (laughs) Knicks last year, are you going to be the best guy in a playoff series? And if you can't be the best guy in a first round playoff series against the Knicks last year, when Brunson, who still hasn't officially made an all-star game, is just killing you, then you're not the guy. And I think your point on that has been proven and you're right to be skeptical of of him going forward as well. Yeah, he's a good floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser. Um, As for the other side of that Cavs-Raptors game, I'll read the two Raptors emails here. Settle in, everybody. Kevin says, New year, new opportunity for each of us to be better versions of ourselves. A chance to look in the mirror and be honest about mistakes we've made. To start fresh with lessons learned. For example, was it a mistake for me to aggressively belittle Ben for a subjective sandwich list last summer? Yes, it absolutely was. It was a childish outburst. I need to be better. Owning our mistakes are the first steps toward improvement. Hey, now, it's okay. Look, peanut butter is vastly underrated by almost our entire audience <laughs> and you. It's okay. Like, it's fine. Absolved. He's absolved. It's okay. It's fine. Kevin definitely had the angriest response, but I do feel like he was channeling the spirit of the audience writ large. So maybe nothing to apologize there. Right? I mean, it, certainly the tone could have been refined a little bit. Uh, 
Anyways, Kevin continues and says, As for my beloved Raptors, as they turn the page on the new year, have they learned any lessons? Have they owned their mistakes? Unfortunately, I'm not so sure. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.